So Senator, you just read the FBI background report on Kavanaugh. What are your thoughts? If it, that's an investigation, it's a bullshit investigation. Oh. Senator, that kind of language. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Up uh, in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WTPA. Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP. WPRR in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in New Orleans on WHIV, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, KPSQ in Fayetteville, Arkansas, KODX in Seattle, in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Just trying to make sense of it all. Frankly, just trying to keep up with it all, Desi Doyen. Yeah, it's been another mm. volcano news day. And hey, it's only the fate of the country at stake. That's yeah, all. Whatever. That's all we're uh, talking about here. Even as the FBI has made their supplemental and by pretty much all reports wildly inadequate Background investigation into uh, Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh available to U.S. senators on Thursday morning. The list of those supporting Kavanaugh and his nomination continues to dwindle very quickly, it seems, at least everywhere outside of the U.S. Senate. Well, inside the U.S. Senate as well, inside the uh, U.S. Senate uh, Hart building. Is that what this, uh, where this uh, crowd was? Does? Yes, this was a huge protest. More than a thousand women at the Hart Senate office building in the hallways, in the lobby, everywhere. And you can tell from the sound of this how huge this protest uh, is today. That is a huge protest. Um, just amazing. And of course, they are not the only ones protesting, trying to stop this uh, nomination any way possible. On Wednesday, Kavanaugh lost the support of a whole bunch of Christian churches. As the National Council of Churches, a coalition, a coalition of some 38 denominations, the largest of its kind, reportedly published a statement demanding that Kavanaugh's nomination 
be stopped once and for all. According to the National Council of Churches, they say they call for the withdrawal of the nomination of Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court of the United States. We believe he has disqualified himself from this lifetime appointment and must step aside immediately. That, according to the group, which represents some 100,000 congregations across the country, spanning numerous denominations and accounting for some 40 million people. They wrote that during his appearance before the Senate Judiciary Committee, Judge Kavanaugh exhibited extreme partisan bias and disrespect towards certain members of the committee and thereby demonstrated that he possesses neither the temperament nor the character essential for a member of the highest court in our nation. In addition, his testimony before the Judiciary Committee, they say, included several misstatements and some outright falsehoods, some in relation to accusations of sexual misconduct. They conclude their uh, statement by saying, therefore, the National Council of Churches calls for the withdrawal of Judge Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court immediately. But, of course, that's not all, even if uh, one would think that a huge religious group like that might get the attention of Senate Republicans in case it doesn't. Uh, in a letter calling on the Senate to oppose Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the court, more than 2,400 law professors, I should say 2,400 and counting. I had checked just about an hour or so before airtime, and the list um, was about 1,700 an hour ago. So it's gone wow. up by about 700 law professors, actually, you know, law professors who list where they teach and everything else uh, online um, who have signed on to this op-ed that was published by the New York Times. They've signed on to tell lawmakers that Kavanaugh's temperament during the hearings last week was disqualifying. Uh, they write in part, um, as the Congressional Research Service explains, a judge requires, quote, a personality that is even-handed, unbiased, impartial, courteous yet firm, and dedicated to a process, not a result. They say, we are law professors who teach, research, and write about the judicial institutions of this country. Many of us appear in state and federal court, and our work means that we will continue to do so, including before the United States Supreme Court. Wow. So they're doing this at some professional risk to themselves if they ever have to appear before him okay, exactly. if he is justice on the yeah. Supreme Court. Wow. They say we regret that we feel compelled to write to you or sen our senators to provide our views that the Senate hearings on September 27, uh, Judge Kavanaugh dis uh, displayed a lack of judicial temperament that would be disqualifying for any court and certainly for elevation to the highest court of this land. Kavanaugh, they write, exhibited a lack of commitment to judicious inquiry instead of being open to the necessary search for accuracy. Judge Kavanaugh was repeatedly aggressive with questioners instead of trying to sort out with reason and care the allegations that were raised. Judge Kavanaugh responded in an intemperate, inflammatory and partial manner as he interrupted and at times was discourteous to senators. They say, as you know, under two statutes governing bias and recusal, judges must step aside if they are at risk of being perceived, being perceived as or of being unfair. 
As Congress has previously put it, a judge or justice, quote, shall disqualify himself in any proceeding in which his impartiality might reasonably be questioned. We have differing, differing views about the other qualifications of Judge Kavanaugh, but we are united as professors of law and scholars of judicial institutions in believing that he did not display the impartiality and judicial temperament requisite to sit on the highest court of our land. That from 2,400 law professors, 2,400 and counting, Nonetheless, just minutes before midnight on Wednesday night, six minutes, in fact, before midnight um, and hours before what is supposed to have been passed off for a, uh, a background FBI background investigation before that was made available even to U.S. senators, but not the public. Apparently, we'll never get to see it uh, on Thursday morning. Minutes before midnight on Wednesday night, Senate Republican staff announced that Leader McConnell has filed cloture on executive calendar number 1127, Brett Kavanaugh of Maryland, to be an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, that before the FBI had even completed its supplemental probe that was given to uh, to U.S. senators today. They have already decided they are moving ahead before anyone saw what the FBI, no, never mind what's actually in it, before senators even saw it. They set this thing up for a vote. Uh, and the probe, by all accounts, I should say, but all, by all accounts, except for Senate Republicans, it seems, appears to have been laughable. Uh, of course, we don't know because we can't see it. But here was Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey. Uh, his thoughts after he came out of the room where the report is being made available to senators on Thursday. So, Senator, you, uh, you just read the FBI background report on Kavanaugh. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, that report, if that's an investigation, it's a bullshit investigation. The reality is... That, that, that is not a full and thorough investigation. Evidently, the Republicans who gave the direction to the FBI of what could be investigated was extremely limited. You don't, you know, I hear a lot about lack of corroboration. Well, you don't get corroboration if you don't talk to corroborating witnesses at the end of the day, and that obviously didn't happen here. Uh, and so uh, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that for the highest court in the land, this is the type of uh, report the FBI produces. I'm not sure we've ever had to bleep a U.S. senator before on this <laughs> program. But I don't think uh, so. Mike Jolette on uh, Twitter says, uh, quote, imagine a guy is suspected of attempted murder and the police investigation doesn't question him or the person he tried to murder or the witnesses who saw him or any of the other people that he tried to murder. That's what just happened with Kavanaugh's FBI investigation. Well, pretty close. Senate Republicans came out of a briefing on the FBI's uh, follow-up investigation into sexual misconduct allegations against Kavanaugh, claiming that the FBI had turned up no new information uh, corroborating his accusers. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell predictably said on the Senate floor after the briefing, quote, the fact is that these allegations have not been corroborated None of the allegations have been corroborated. 
Republicans were briefed by the Judiciary Committee staff on the FBI's report in a secured location in the Senate basement. A single copy of the actual report, which is said to include roughly 50 pages of raw transcripts of interviews that the FBI conducted, was then made available for senators of both parties to read through throughout the day. A single copy of 50 pages. Uh, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican of uh, South Carolina, said, quote, I've learned nothing I didn't already know. I'm more confident than ever of Brett Kavanaugh. That's what he said uh, before he even bothered to read <laughs> the 50 new pages. Wow. Wow. And, you know, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, the Democrat who has yet to be. Uh, oh, we'll get to him. We're going to get to oh, him. Yeah, he we're he did get mention to him. that he was only allowed to be in there for five minutes and then he was kicked out because it was a Republican really? senator's turn. Yes, this was according to a McClatchy newspaper uh, reporter. And she said that he would have to try to come back tomorrow to get to the rest of it. <laughs> five pages for five minutes for 50 pages. Yep. Wow. Uh, the FBI uh, reached out to... Good. I'm glad that happened to Joe Manchin, of all people. But we'll get to him in a minute. Uh, the FBI reached out to uh, 10 people, reportedly, and only 10 people as part of this uh, follow-up probe. That, according to reports today, and they uh, apparently talked to all but one. One person apparently refused. Not sure yet who that is. Um, other senators said that 10 people were questioned for the investigation in total, but that's 10 at best, which did not include what we do know is that it did not include Dr. Christine Blasey Ford uh, or Brett Kavanaugh himself, the man being investigated here. Neither did it include the 20 corroborating witnesses or witnesses who are said to have corroborating uh, information that Dr. Ford's lawyer said that she wished to offer to the FBI had she been interviewed by them. Nor did it include the 20 more corroborating witnesses that the second accuser, Deborah Ramirez, says that she did give to the FBI when she was interviewed in this probe. That includes her roommate at Yale at the time, who is now uh, an, an esteemed Princeton professor, I believe. Uh, he says he's able to corroborate her report that Kavanaugh thrust his genitals into her face during a party in his freshman year at Yale. And yes, we are still talking about a potential nominee for the U.S. Supreme Court. A lifetime position on that bench. Kavanaugh, of course, has vehemently denied uh, Ramirez and Fords and all of the other allegations. Democrats uh, received their own briefing on the FBI report and argue that it was incomplete. However, it seems to have satisfied uh, at least one of the GOP senators who were wavering on Kavanaugh's confirmation uh, before the, uh, the FBI took this uh, additional step. Senator Susan Collins told CNN, quote, it appears to be very a very thorough investigation. Says the Republican uh, senator from Maine, who I don't want to insult her, but uh, well, let's just say she is smarter than the uh, the governor of Maine. Right. Paula Page. <laughs> well, since he is the dumbest governor in the United States, it's hard not to meet that low bar. Yeah. So she's smarter than him, I guess. Senator Jeff Flake, who last week had pushed for this follow-up probe, Republican of Arizona, said he had seen, quote, no additional corroborating information in the report. 
though he has still yet to commit one way or another as to what he will, how he will vote in the, uh, in the final vote. <clears throat> Republicans seem confident today, however, that they will be able to confirm Kavanaugh with procedural votes on the floor set to start as soon as Friday. And then a final vote scheduled over the weekend. For their part, Senate Democrats, some of whom apparently were able to review the report, they complained that it was not complete. The uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, the top Democrat on the Judiciary Committee, said, quote, the most notable part, notable part of this report is what is not in it. She said at a press conference that it looks to be a product of an incomplete investigation that was limited, perhaps by the White House. I don't know, she said, noting that Democrats are aware of several witnesses who were not contacted by the FBI. She argued, quote, it's simply not credible to use public testimony as a substitute for an interview conducted by FBI agents. Senate leader, uh, Democratic minority leader Chuck Schumer said that his, quote, fears that the FBI investigation would be limited, quote, have been realized. Of course, uh, one of the things that I do strive to do on this show and at bradblog.com is to offer independently verifiable evidence. I don't want anybody to believe anything I say or I should say, to be forced to believe anything I say, to simply have to take my word for it. Um, If I can't uh, offer independently uh, verifiable evidence, I generally don't report stuff that can't be verified, you know, by someone else. You shouldn't take my opinion. There's a lot of, you know, partisan opinionated jerks on the radio. Um, I may be opinionated, I may be a jerk, I try not to be partisan, but I don't want you to take my word. Unfortunately, in this case, with this information about uh, a nominee to the highest court in the land, a lifetime appointment, I can't, I can't tell you much. I can't give you anything here other than what people are saying about what is or isn't in this report. And the American people, the public, should not be in this situation. So I can only go by what the senators say and what the witnesses say, including uh, those who were not interviewed by the FBI. The FBI did not interview witnesses um, who were suggested, as I said, by Debbie Ramirez. Her attorney uh, says this in an independently verifiable letter that was sent to the uh, FBI director, Christopher Wray, on Thursday morning. Uh, Her attorney, William Pittard, wrote that uh, Ramirez named several people who learned of the incident during uh, her FBI interview. She told this to the FBI when they did at least speak to her. And uh, the letter includes statements from several people who learned, who say they learned of the alleged incident around the time that it occurred at Yale University, including a declaration from a new potential witness uh, Richard O., who attended Yale at the same time uh, as uh, Debbie Ramirez and Brett Kavanaugh were students there, he wrote in a declaration, a sworn declaration, that he recalled a female student telling him that, uh, quote, what she initially thought was a plastic penis was exhibited, but she later realized it was a male's st- a male student's exposed penis. 
O, for his part, said that he contacted the FBI, but that nobody from the Bureau tried to schedule an interview with him. In the letter, Petard also criticized the FBI for failing to contact more potential witnesses. He said there may be many additional witnesses who could offer still further corroboration if any additional corroboration were needed, which it is not, he said. But we likely will never know, given your agents were barred from investigating. Christine Blasey Ford's lawyers released a statement outlining a list of people whom the FBI could have interviewed but did not, who they claim could have corroborated her allegations of sexual assault. The list includes the former FBI agent who completed the polygraph test. Apparently, the FBI didn't bother to talk to him or her. Blasey Ford's husband was also not interviewed, along with Blasey Ford herself. Uh, the husband was told about the alleged assault. Several friends that Blasey Ford has told about the alleged assault in the past, they were not interviewed. None of them were apparently even contacted by the FBI in this so-called thorough investigation on which now rests the fate of the U.S. Supreme Court for a generation or more. Perhaps that's why retired U.S. Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens, the 98-year-old former justice appointed by Republican President Gerald Ford, John Paul Stevens has now come out in opposition to the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh. Stevens said on Thursday that Kavanaugh's testimony a week ago convinced him to oppose Kavanaugh's uh, confirmation. He said uh, Stevens did in a live interview at an event in Boca Raton, Florida, according to the Palm Beach Post, that, quote, I feel his performance in the hearings ultimately changed my mind. Now, mind you, Stevens had a, uh, reportedly praised Kavanaugh as recently as two, 2014 in a book, in the book that uh, Stevens wrote called Six Amendments, How and Why We Should Change the Constitution. But uh, Justice Stevens said on uh, on Thursday, uh, quote, at the time, I thought Kavanaugh had the qualifications for the Supreme Court should he be selected. This was back in 2014. But he added, I've changed my views for reasons that have no relationship to his intellectual ability. The retired justice added that there was, quote, merit to the criticism that Kavanaugh's Fiery partisan testimony last week demonstrated a potential for a potential <laughs> demonstrated a potential for political bias. Should he serve on the uh, on the Supreme Court? I wouldn't call it a potential for political bias uh, in his angry response to uh, Dr. Ford Kavanaugh. Uh, not only de denied the allegations of sexual assault, but he said that they were revenge on behalf of the Clintons. And just a re reminder here, uh, Dr. Ford uh, sent her original letter to the uh, to Congress before Kavanaugh was even nominated. Just in case he might be nominated when he was on a short list uh, that would had been put out by the White House. So revenge on behalf of the Clintons. Kavanaugh said it was, quote, fueled by millions of dollars in money from outside left wing opposition groups. 
and was uh, a, a response to Donald Trump's 2016 uh, election. Yeah, and he also vowed what come what goes around comes around. He yeah, essentially that's... vowed to take revenge, to take his retribution on somebody who, who knows, who might become before him at the Supreme Court, meaning he cannot be impartial and no American can trust that they will get a fair hearing if they are before the Supreme Court. I mean, I think that's severe. I think that's very grave. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, to put it in uh, just in, in brief terms, he's a partisan liar. I mean, that's what we know. That's what we do know. Well, the the sexual assault alleged uh, alleged against him, that may or may not. That's up to you. But we know that he lied repeatedly during his testimony, not just last week's, but in his initial testimony. And clearly, and we knew even before last week that he was a partisan operative for the GOP, but he certainly sealed it in that response. Now, um... Those comments that he made last week about revenge, about the money from outside left wing opposition groups, uh, that is unprecedented language from a Supreme Court nominee. But unless I'm mistaken, I believe it's also unprecedented for a retired Supreme Court justice to come out in opposition to a newly nominated uh, justice. Um, So for. 98-year-old retired Justice John Paul Stevens to come out and say, no, this guy should not be on the bench. You'd think that should count for something. You would think. But, of course, unlike U.S. Senators, uh, John Paul Stevens doesn't have to face voters in response to his opinions here. But then again, neither does uh, Arizona Senator Jeff Flake. He's retiring this year himself. Uh, but he said he had seen, quote, no additional corroborating information after uh, viewing the results of this so-called background FBI background probe. Uh, while noting, by the way, that he needed to uh, finish reviewing the material, I wonder if he got thrown out of the room as well after, after five, five minutes. minutes yeah. uh, nonetheless, he agreed with uh, super genius uh, Senator Collins, who said that the probe was, quote, thorough. Democratic Senator Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota, she uh, does have to face voters this year. Uh, And in a very red state that Trump won by a huge margin in 2016, she's now in a very close race against Republican Kevin Kramer as she tries to hold on to her seat uh, just over one month from today. But here's uh, Heidi Heitkamp's decision on Brett Kavanaugh for the first time. The process has been bad. Um, But at the end of the day, you have to make a decision. And I've made that decision. And that decision will be what, Senator? I will be voting no on Judge Kavanaugh. And there was a huge roar at the uh, Senate building when news of Heidi Heidkamp's opposition that she would be a no finally came out today. Um, So she had been just one of two undecided Democrats before Thursday. Uh, she said in a statement that there are many unqualified, there are many extremely qualified candidates, I should say, for the nation's high court. And she said she's ready to work with Donald Trump, quote, to confirm a nominee who is suited for the honor and distinction of serving this lifetime appointment. She said questions about Kavanaugh's temperament led her to decide that she will vote against his nomination, saying that she also believes Blasey Ford's um Allegations, quote, without hesitation. 
She says the new FBI background report on Kavanaugh has, quote, created inconsistencies, unquote, with some of the nominee's statements. Of course, we don't know because we don't get to see what that report says. When an anti uh, when the uh, anti Kavanaugh protesters outside the court heard about the news, AP says they let out a huge roar. And then there's the one other uh, Democrat, I guess now the one, the lone Democrat who has not come out either way. That would be Joe Manchin of West Virginia. He said uh, he said to be up nearly 10 points over his opponent in November in West Virginia, where he is uh, running for reelection. He's running against Attorney General Pat Morrissey and reports. And again, uh, I don't know what to make of them. Uh, Politico suggests that he is, quote, leaning yes on Kavanaugh. Why? Well, I don't know. Uh, We do know that Trump won West Virginia by some 42 points in 2016, the largest victory that Trump had that year. But he leads Morrissey in pretty much all the polls. Actually, I should say in all of the polls that have come out just on Monday, Gray Television came out with a uh, a new poll finding that he was ahead that Manchin was ahead of Morrissey by eight points among likely voters. So um, and uh, other polls have found him to be up even more so. The nonpartisan Cook Political Report slightly favors Manchin in the race. They call it uh, leaning Democratic in West Virginia. Real Clear Politics average gives Manchin a nine point three lead among all of the recent polling in the state combined. So almost 10 points, well outside of the uh, margin of error for these polls. So what's he afraid of? Don't know. Um, I can only hope that uh, Joe Manchin in West Virginia could somehow manage to dredge up the moral courage from within himself to match even one tiny iota of the moral courage of Heidi Heitkamp. She's in a tight race. And she also said in her statement today that a this much tighter race, a much tighter yeah. race. And she said today that if this was only about politics, then th- the choice for her would have been obvious to confirm him. But that she still has to be able to look at herself in the mirror. Manchin has no mirrors in his house, I understand. Well, I can only uh, hope he's got the yeah. moral courage because she has it. Uh, Ari Berman. um, Our friend from uh, Mother Jones says, uh, quote, GOP Senate blocked Merrick Garland's nomination for 237 days before the election, but will vote to confirm to confirm Kavanaugh 30 days before midterms, despite a sham FBI investigation. Only four percent of his records released a nominee who lied under oath 10 times. He says the GOP rigged. This process from the start. Hard to disagree. Lisa Graves, the former Department of Justice uh, uh, prosecutor, deputy attorney general, a senior advisor to the Senate Judiciary Committee, Democrats back in the 2000s, said, quote, it's a White House whitewash and the Trump party will set aside decency and respect for survivors and women everywhere to install the man that the Kochs want on our court backed by dark money ads juicing up GOP voters. It's a very sad day for our country and the court, she wrote. So uh, what does all of this mean for November? 
Will it lead to a tidal wave of blue voters in the midterms like those you heard chanting at the uh, Hart uh, Senate uh, office building? Well, there's a lot of Democrats who are certain that it will lead to a uh, tidal wave. I should say they should not be so certain for a whole bunch of reasons. Some of those reasons are next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. All my exes live in Texas. <laughs> well, you better Texas give them a call. A call your exes. There's information that they need to know about, and it doesn't have to do with uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, well, maybe it does have to do with Brett Kavanaugh. Let me uh, start here. Americans' enthusiasm for voting in November is significantly higher, for some reason, than it was in the prior six midterm elections. 55% of U.S. adults say they are, quote, more enthusiastic about voting than usual, according to new polling out from the Gallup organization that contrasts. So 55 uh, percent that contrasts with between 37 and 50 percent saying the same thing to Gallup in their final pre-election survey in each midterm year going back to 1994. So a lot of enthusiasm for some reason this year. That's good. However, for those excited that this could mean a so-called blue wave on November 6th, well, today's heightened enthusiasm is the result of high levels of enthusiasm among Democrats and Republicans, Gallup reports. 61% of Democrats and Democratic leaners and 58% of Republican and Republican leaners say they are more enthusiastic about voting in November compared to prior elections. So that offers uh, Democrats a roughly three-point lead. That is it. As far as uh, enthusiasm goes, essentially that's within the margin of errors. Both parties, at least according to this poll from Gallup, if it is to be believed, both parties are about equally enthusiastic. Gallup writes that uh, today's heightened enthusiasm may not translate into higher turnout than in previous years, as a separate measure shows that Americans claim to be no more certain that they will vote in November than has been the case in previous elections. Fifty eight percent 
of U.S. adults describe themselves as absolutely certain they will vote. That is identical to Gallup's final measures in both 2014 and uh, 1998, but it is even but it is lower than it was in 1994, in 2006, and 2010. In other words, that is the same or lower than previous midterm so-called wave election years. As far as whether Americans say they are, quote, absolutely certain to vote. Democrats and Republicans both express a fairly high certainty of voting, with 72% and 70% respectively saying they are absolutely certain they will vote in, uh, in November. Overall, certainty is suppressed by the low percentage of independents, the, where just 43% uh, are sure that they will vote. So uh, now I suspect there are more Republicans these days calling themselves independents than in previous years. So that might be good news for Democrats, but that's uh, a uh, pretty thin gruel to go on, in my opinion. Uh, you know, if you're looking at these numbers, it should also be noted, by the way, that this uh, this polling is is based on a survey from Gallup that was conducted from September 17 through September 23. That was before Last week's testimony by uh, Dr. Christine uh, Ford and um, Brett Kavanaugh in the Senate Judiciary Committee, which other polling seems to indicate may be goosing Republican enthusiasm this year. So uh, beyond the uh, partisan uh, patterns in voter certainty and enthusiasm, with Republicans and Democrats both appearing eager to have their say at the polls just over four weeks from today, the new polling finds men and women also expressing equal levels of enthusiasm and intent to participate in the election. So there's no big difference uh, there, either between men or women, as uh, and they say as is usual. However, there is a wide range in responses to both questions by age. Older Americans are more, much more enthusiastic and likely to vote than are younger Americans. And here's uh, Justin Levitt, uh, UC Irvine election law professor, former uh, Department of Justice voting rights official. Uh, he drills down and uh, into these numbers and offers uh, a few, well, at least one of these numbers with a siren. These are numbers of folks who are uh, said to be certain to vote in, eight, in uh, 2018 based on this uh, late September Gallup polling. If you're 65 and older, then you are 82% certain that you will be voting. Uh, voters 50 to 64 are 69% certain to vote. 30 to 49 are 55%, so still a majority if you're over 30. But between uh, voters between 18 and 29 years old, just 26% say that they are certain to vote one month from now. Just 26%. Really? Really? Six, 18 to 29-year-olds? In states with uh, long registration deadlines, Levitt notes that uh, deadline to register to vote is coming up this weekend. We talked about it yesterday on the show. And he says, uh, hey, engaged younger voters, the right time to phone a friend is now. 
Sounds like you, Des. <laughs> well, you know, yes, as I keep saying over and over and over again, this is all pretty new, to, especially to young voters who are in the 18 to 22 age range. They may not even know how to go about this. It's quite complicated. It is intentionally so, especially in Republican-led state legislatures. They try to make it as difficult as possible, yep. as difficult as possible to navigate. And especially, so these younger voters, they are often new voters, and so they are uh, likely if you look at these numbers, they are likely to be the key difference in the results of this November's crucial midterm election. Just them showing up and voting. And there, well, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, not actually just Houston, but in Texas as a whole. So on yesterday's broadcast, we shared the surprisingly large number of uh, voter registrations that occurred last week on National Voter Registration Day. More than 800,000 signed up to vote on that one day across the country alone. That broke the record from the numbers during National Voter Registration Day back in 2016, which was a presidential election. So that's some good news. But we also went through the list of states where uh, voter registration is closing down a month before the election, beginning this weekend in Alaska and Rhode Island. And then on Tuesday, October 9, in a whole bunch of states, about a third of the states. And many of them are key states this year, like Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Ohio, Missouri, Pennsylvania, and yes, Desi Doyen's home state of Texas, uh, among others. Uh, we, but we noted when we talked about it that Texas, as large as it is and as difficult as it can be to get to a facility where one can register to vote in person, they have no option for online uh, registration in the state of Texas. And now today uh, we have this from the uh, Dallas Morning News. More than 2,000 Texans who registered to vote using an online tool provided by a California nonprofit voter registration organization could be in for a rude awakening on Election Day. They are not, in fact, officially registered. In September, Vote.org which uses technology to uh, increase voter turnout and bring more people into the political process. They rolled out this tool to help Texans register for the November election. Applications began rolling in, even from uh, outside uh, some of the major counties, Dallas, Bear, Cameron, and Travis counties. But on Monday of this week, the Office of the Secretary of State uh, told the nonprofit that those applications submitted through their uh, through their software were not valid because they did not have original signatures on them. Now, this is just one of the reasons you may have noticed that I have not been recommending vote.org to listeners. Uh, there are several reasons. Uh, I won't get into them now uh, as far as you know who they are, what happens to the data that you give to them, etc., uh, but that's why I always point folks towards your county website or your secretary of state website for information on voter registration, how to register, how to check to make sure that you are properly registered. In a statement, uh, the secretary of state of Texas, Rolando Pablos, said, quote, we remind all eligible Texas voters that online voter registration 
is not available in the state of Texas. Any website that misleadingly claims to assist voters in, regist in registering to vote online by simply submitting a digital signature is not authorized to do so. He urged voters to check their registration status on the Secretary of State's website, where they could uh, also get more information on the elections and presumably on where they can actually register before Tuesday's deadline. Now, I don't want to say that uh, I'm, I'm not suggesting vote.org that they're bad guys here. Uh, I don't think they're we're purposely trying to mislead people. But this is why I, you know, try to tell people go through your own county, your own secretary of state when doing this. Uh, apparently, vote.org's applicants uh, were asked to answer questions that would uh, then fill out a paper voter registration application. They would sign their name on a piece of paper and snap a photo of that signature and then upload it to this online application. The website then faxes and mails the application to election administrators for processing. They thought vote.org did. They thought that this met with the with the requirements in the state of Texas. Uh, but apparently they did not consult with the state of Texas before uh, before using this particular tool for the Lone Star State. Yeah, because a, a, a photograph of a signature is not the actual pen to paper. And Texas apparently requires the actual pen marks on actual paper. They have used the same tool. Uh, the uh, Morning News reports in Alaska, Colorado, Kansas. It, it was fine in Kansas. Yeah, but Kansas so, also has online registration. So. Yeah, well, that's true, but they also have Chris Kobach. Uh, so actually, does Kansas have online registration? I'm, I'm presuming they, they do. I don't do. know. Uh, South Carolina allowed this uh, without any problems. Uh, however, they didn't talk with the Secretary of State, apparently, before launching it in Texas. Now, the paper notes that 38 other states do offer online voter registration or will soon, according to Brennan, Center's, uh, Brennan Center for Justice's numbers. But of course, um, because, you know, they prefer that you don't vote in the state of Texas. Uh, and even though, by the way, they have nearly the lowest, if not the lowest voter turnout in the nation in Texas, they just don't want to make registering to vote any easier for, for Texans. So they have no online registration and they are rejecting applications that were submitted via uh, the uh, vote.org uh, system. Sam Taylor, a spokesperson for the Secretary of State's office, said that registration applications require original signatures, not snapshotted photos, and uh, that uh, they uh, notified Vote.org that it objected to the online tool, uh, and it has now been shut down as of Tuesday for voters in the state of Texas. A spokesman from Vote.org said, We disagree. With Texas's interpretation of the law, but we didn't want any further voters in this situation. The Secretary of State, they say, basically created this situation where voters are potentially being disenfranchised when they were following part of Texas election code to register. So this leaves now thousands potentially of Texas voters who mistakenly think they have completed their voter registration. Vote.org is going to be contacting all of them, sending pre uh, sending uh, sending a printed applications with stamped envelopes to those people so that they can sign them and get it back. 
Uh, but registration closes on Tuesday, so it's unclear whether that will, you know, if, if this shows up after Tuesday, whether it will be allowed or not. Um, the uh, Travis County voter registrar, Bruce Elfont, said they are also going to try to contact these voters, but they say for every hundred of these that we send out, I don't know how many we're going to get back. He estimates that Travis County, uh, that's Austin, if I Yes, Recall that's correctly. Austin. That's Austin, Texas. Um, he estimates uh, they received between 400 and 500 applications. Uh, he calls it an unfortunate misunderstanding. He said it, he added, if we had online voter registration, this problem would be solved. And a lot of others, he said. Yeah. Clearly not happy with the state. Now, hopefully uh, in a state the size of Texas, this won't be a huge problem, but it could be uh, in in smaller uh, races, local races, U.S. House elections and potentially, depending on how close it turns out, being uh, in the, the Texas contest for the U.S. Senate. Which Democrats are really hoping uh, to win down there in their quest to take back control of the U.S. Senate. Republican uh, Senator Ted Cruz uh, is in a surprisingly close race with his Democratic challenger, Beto O'Rourke. Cruz is uh, leading by just over four points, according to the Real Clear Politics average. They're rating the state now as a toss-up at this point. An analysis from 538.com's uh, Nate Sil- Silver similar, similarly finds that Cruz has a 3.8% advantage over O'Rourke, but says it is surprisingly close that it should not be competitive, given everything they know about the, the state and the factors here. But he believes that this uh, close polling we've seen is no fluke, according to their computer models. O'Rourke has been consistently outpacing Cruz in fundraising as well. Recent polls, O'Rourke has uh, been trailing by just one point in the Emerson College poll, four points in an NBC News Marist poll. An Ipsos Reuters poll released uh, mid-September even showed O'Rourke leading Cruz by two points, although O'Rourke was uh, trailing uh, Cruz by nine points in a Quinnipiac poll released the same week. So anyway, you dice it. This is very close. And every vote will count. Yeah, a few thousand votes could make all the difference. Uh, This is also true, by the way, in a bunch of other states uh, where registration problems and voting roll purges uh, are happening. They are particularly bad. Brennan Center reports right now in North Carolina, in Georgia, and in Florida this year. So again, every vote counts. Check your registration. Tell your friends and family to do the same. And if they uh, or you aren't registered to vote this year, for God's sakes, do it. And do Tell your friends and family to do it as well. If you're sitting back and thinking there's going to be a Democratic wave this year, I would urge you to get that idea out of your head right now. As we like to say uh, around here, this democracy is not going to save itself. We need you to participate in every possible way. Now more than ever. Seriously. Quick break, and we're back with the latest Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. (laughs) 
Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Fired up? Oh, yes. Fired up. Ready to go? Ready to go. All right. Let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. We have successfully completed negotiations to terminate and replace NAFTA. Big oil is a big winner in Trump's new NAFTA trade deal. We don't typically see this. Two simultaneous Category 5s now spinning in the Pacific. The first ever container ship crosses the Arctic as sea ice hits new lows. Plus, we've been quite pleasantly surprised and and would encourage more of this technology into the grid. Tesla's big battery in South Australia succeeding beyond all expectations. All of those great expectations and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I wish Rex Tillerson was still there. I I never thought I'd be saying, where's the guy from Exxon? This is your Green News Report. Jesus, doesn't Chevron have someone who can step into that administration? Okay, Desi Doyen, I was shocked, shocked to learn that big oil was the big winner in the new NAFTA deal. Yeah, who could have thought? In the Trump administration's new trade deal with Mexico and Canada to replace NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, there is some good news. The agreement drops a provision called the Investor State Dispute Settlement, which allows multinationals to sue sovereign governments for the loss of future profits from new policy changes like new pollution regulations. So oil companies can can't sue the U.S. if the U.S. decides they ever wish to start putting a carbon tax out, for example. Well, not exactly. The bad news is that there's a carve-out for energy companies. Uh According to financial journalist David Dayan in a recent broadcast, the fossil fuel carve-out, however, is limited to only current contracts. It's essentially a hedge against the new incoming Mexican president from renationalizing the oil and gas sector. It it definitely is a carve-out. But damages for expected future profits could not be recouped. Only concrete damages. So there's that. Meanwhile, the Trump administration is taking its attack on public health to new levels this week, proposing or preparing to propose weakening regulations that protect the public from toxic mercury pollution from coal-fired power plants, weakening regulations that limit how much radiation you're allowed to be exposed to, and loosening more offshore drilling regulations. 
Meanwhile, the extremes of 2018 continue. Thanks to unusually warm ocean waters in the Pacific, Typhoon Wallaka and Super Typhoon Kong Ray are the first two major typhoons to simultaneously achieve Category 5 intensity since 2005. Kong Ray? Kong Ray. Okay. Plus, Typhoon Wallaka makes 2018 only the fourth season ever on record to see eight or more major hurricanes by October 1st. That Pacific Ocean Ocean warmth has also prompted NOAA to predict that we may see another El Nino hitting the U.S. in the coming months, and that could goose global temperatures and fuel even more extreme weather. How many El Ninos are we going to have? It's like every year now we have another El Nino. And you're right. It is unusual to have one this close to the last one, which was just two years ago. NASA announced this week that the Arctic sea ice minimum, which measures the extent of sea ice at the end of summer, was the sixth lowest ever recorded. Recorded, the 12 lowest minimums have all occurred in the last 12 years. Totally a coincidence. The month of September also marked the passage of the first ever commercial container ship through the Arctic Ocean, made possible by the melting of Arctic ice. More container ships mean more pollution. But there is some good news. A new international agreement signed this week in Greenland now bans commercial fishing in much of the Arctic Ocean for at least the next 16 years. It protects vast areas that have opened up due to man-made global warming. It's intended to prevent, for now, the overfishing seen in other parts of the world, even as climate change causes major fish species to move farther north as the planet warms. Has the U.S. signed on to that treaty? Yes, it has. What happened there? How did they miss that one? What's going on? Is Donald Trump okay? Finally, uh, remember that big battery that Tesla installed in South Australia? I do, yes. (laughs) On that bet from CEO Elon Musk? Yes. Well, Tesla's big battery farm, it stores clean energy generated by a wind farm. And since going into service nearly a year ago, it has repeatedly stabilized the electric grid, preventing blackouts as the province's aging coal plants have broken down. ABC Australia reports that the battery farm is exceeding all expectations. The naysayers said it was a waste of money, but this big battery is already playing a key role in stabilising the grid. And it's doing so with a speed, precision and agility that's never been seen before. Conventional generators can't match the way the battery makes small adjustments to power supply to keep the grid at the right frequency. Australia energy market operators like the big battery so much, they're calling for more of them to be installed. Oh, big coal and big natural gas are not going to be happy about that. Nope. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Do you come from a land down under? one of those days when <laughs> when the Green News Report is the most fun thing on the broadcast. Oh, indeed it is. Remember, registration is closing in many states. Get out there, get registered, help uh, your friends. Oh, you just have one track mind. I do. And my thanks to our producer, Desiree, and of course to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, Download it anytime for free. Set the world on fire at bradblog.com. You can also drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. And uh, as ever, my thanks to those of you who help keep us going. 
help keep us, uh, Desi, uh, Desi Doyen and I, going as we try to help keep you going here by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. We really solely rely on you to stay on your public airwaves, whether it's the Green News Report or the Bradcast or both. We need your help here. We told you we wanted to try to make it through the uh, end of the year, at least uh, through the elections. We're almost there. Bradblog.com slash donate. If you haven't stopped by, please do. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.